Ghosts, have they become a cliché? Or can we once again examine this phenomena seriously? After all, isn't it really our own afterlife we're curious about? Let's delve a little deeper on Jim Harold's Ghost Insight. Welcome to Ghost Insight. I am Jim Harold. So glad to be with you once again. And we have an author today who has written a number of books on the supernatural. And I'm always interested uh, on why people get hooked on this subject matter. I'm in the same boat. You know, I, I, I've been involved since I was a little kid in terms of being interested in it, going all the way back to Leonard Nimoy and In Search Of, and uh, got involved in it professionally 10 years ago as a podcaster and subsequently an, an author. And I always love to talk to other people who have done similar things, ask them why. I asked them some of their findings and what they have learned on their journey. And we've got a great guest to do that today. Our guest is G. Michael Vasey. Originally from Yorkshire, and he is a rabid Tigers fan that has spent most of his adult life lost deep in Texas. But now he's in the Czech Republic, where I believe he's calling us from today. He says he's been lucky enough to write for a living as a leading analyst in the commodity training and risk management industry, but he surreptitiously writes poems and equally strange books on stories of metaphysics, the occult, and the paranormal. And he says he hopes that one day someone might actually buy them, but it looks like people have been buying them by all means. Uh, G. Michael Vasey, welcome to the program today. Hi, very nice to be here, Jim. So how did you get hooked on all of this? Well, it really started when I was a, when I was a child um, growing up. Um, I was subject to a lot of um, strange experiences, and um, I think uh, – when those kind of things happen to you growing up, you 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 develop a natural interest, and I, I became interested in in really not so much ghosts and the paranormal as the nature of reality uh, as a result of my experiences. And and I used to sit as a child, five or six, and this would be 1965, 66, by the way, long before the Matrix and and movies right. like that. I would actually think. And imagine that I was in a little room hooked up to a machine experiencing my life as some kind of virtual reality. And, <clears throat> you know, sometimes strange things would happen. One of, my, one of the first memories that I, that I have is of a little, a little blue man jumping out of the mirror in the, in the wardrobe in my bedroom, shooting me with a toy gun and then jumping out the window. And it sounds like a very bizarre story, but Actually, the gunshot was heard by my parents who came rushing up to the room to find out what was what was going on. And from there, um, I had things like poltergeist activity, uh, saw, saw ghosts all of the time, was, was very open to uh, atmospheres and strange phenomena. And, um, you know, basically developed an interest as you would when things like that happened to you. It's interesting you say that because, of course, the movies came like The Matrix, and then science has actually come out recently. Scientists have come out recently saying, you know, this whole idea that we're simulation, some kind of computer simulation, yes. it's not totally insane that it could be Correct. possible. Yeah, those those stories have been around for some time, and, and uh, I saw just yesterday that uh, there was another another bunch of um, science magazines printing that kind of, of information, but... Quantum physics is simply bizarre, and um, you know people like Einstein made made various statements about quantum physics and the nature of reality and and how bizarre 
uh, we, you know, this this world that we live in really is. I mean, it's mostly empty space, um, and we're just clouds of atoms operating in clouds of atoms. And I, I suspect that uh, to, to a large degree, we live in our in our own heads because it's it's our mind, it's our consciousness that experiences this this actuality and creates a reality based on on our upbringing, what we've been taught, uh, the culture that we live in. And I think, to some extent, phenomena, paranormal phenomena like ghosts and poltergeists and, and uh, demons and, and those kind of things are a part of our reality that we create. Because, you know, if, if you look at various cultures, uh, you begin to see. In North America, I mean, I lived in Houston, Texas for 20 years, and with, with the, the movies and so on, there's a, there's a huge amount of interest in demons um, funnily enough, if you come to Europe, there's not much interest at all in demons, and people don't see demons. They see ghosts. They see other things. Now we've got the black-eyed kids phenomena, and we've got UFOs, and we've got. And, and sometimes I have to wonder if if this isn't part of our the reality that we create for ourselves. Do you follow me? Yeah, I do. And actually, you know, it's so funny uh, talking to different people. A couple of things happened to me. I recently did a show, and uh, I don't know if it'll be out by the time this comes out, but on the old TV show, The Prisoner, which I'm sure you're familiar mm-hmm. with being from the UK. And if you look at uh, something like that, what is the nature of reality? And the other thing that occurs to me is that, uh, and this is the example I always use, scientists did not know about DNA in 1900. Did it mean that DNA did not exist? No, of course it didn't mean that it didn't exist. It just meant that they didn't have the techniques, the tools, and the knowledge to discover it at that time. So uh, by extension, it would make sense that there are a lot of things that our current science doesn't necessarily recognize. And and I wonder, and I'll pose this question to you, do you think when we think of things like ghosts, demons, whatever it might be, it might be an incredible oversimplification to fit these phenomena into something we can understand. Yeah, it certainly could be. Um, I, I don't know how much you, you know of my background, but I've actually, I'm actually a, a practicing magician, and I've, I've studied magic, and I'm a supervisor with a, a school of occult science in the, the UK. And, you know, my interest in magic... Um, really uh, is part and parcel of the same interest in in reality. Because um, if you study magic, you know, it's, it's uh, it's not like Hollywood makes it out to be. It's actually a very rigorous mental discipline in which you, you, you unlearn everything you, you thought you were and find out who you really are. And you learn how to imagine, uh, very strongly and how to have mental discipline, that kind of thing. And, and when you start, when you start to practice these kind of techniques, um, you realize that where you give attention, where your consciousness chooses to give attention, you will start to notice things. And magic works in the way, something similar to the secret and, and the cosmic ordering system and all of those kind of things, although there's some flaws with those systems. And um, you basically create this reality by reinventing your own mind. And if you study the, the, the magicians, uh, you know, in, in previous eras, like say John D, the Elizabethan Englishman, um, and, and Edward Kelly, for example, that, that spoke to angels and invented the angel language. Um, you know, what you find is 
what you find is is that they they really created a reality in which they were talking to angelic forces, demons, and spirits. Hmm. And and sometimes you have to ask yourself, are those angels, demons, and spirits out there, or are they really inside? Are they really part of our psyche? Um, I wrote a poem yesterday, posted it on my blog, um, basically about being a crowd, because sometimes when I meditate, I realize that I have all different kinds of personalities and personas, and I am a crowd. I'm not an individual. I'm a crowd of different people inside my head. And, you know, the the science of the human mind is still a young science, and, and the question I would raise is, is, is a ghost, is a spirit, is a demon, is that something that we're reflecting outwards from inside, or is it something that has an independent reality of its own? And I think about things like poltergeists. Uh, we just uh-huh. had uh, somebody on our campfire program, and uh, I don't even think we've released this yet, but uh, the person said that um, they have one of these old cassette players, one of those old boom boxes, and they were a child, and they they heard uh, almost demonic-sounding voices coming from it, and there were two people in the room, so they both heard it. Uh-huh. Uh, so they, they, they had confirming evidence, at least among themselves. Other people may have said, you know, whatever, they're making it up. So in, in, in the, the one person was a young man. He was about 13 years old. And he had had this happen before, and he had this happen after. The, the storyteller was his sister. Uh, and I asked the question, and the, the famous uh, Canadian journalist, Michael Clarkson, covered this in his Poltergeist Phenomenon book a few years ago. Uh, and I know this is not a new theory, but the idea that adolescents somehow uh, project uh, poltergeist activity, that it does happen. It's not fake. It is real in some cases, but it's mm-hmm. something that comes from them. And, and you've got to wonder, what is the mechanism for that? And, and why are they more susceptible to that kind of activity? Because when you hear of these cases many times, there's a teenager involved. So it may be an extension of the kind of thing you're talking about. Exactly. And, and the poltergeist activity that I experienced took place when I was a teenager. Um, and it was a very frightening uh, time in my life. I mean, you know, e- even to the point where I went to college. And um, in, in the My Haunted Life uh, series, the first book is really a set of stories about me and my experiences. Um, and one of them, for example, is coming home from college. Um, I went to the pub and actually I had a skin full of beer because I, I got to the point where I didn't didn't like to sleep in my parents' house anymore. And I couldn't, in fact, sleep because I was frightened to. So if I had a few beers, that was my way around it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was sleeping on my brother's uh, floor uh, in his bedroom. And um, I, I got, I, you know, I laid down and put the sleeping bag. And um, I heard the front door, some some key in the front door. And I'm thinking, well, that's that's, that's weird. I, I'm pretty sure I, I locked the front door. And then I heard the front door open. Of course, by this time, the effect of the five or six beers I'd had was completely gone. Every hair on the back of my neck was stood up on end and goosebumps, and I was, my heart was pounding. And I'm listening, and I, I then hear the door close. I hear footsteps creaking up the stairs ever so slowly, and this sort of horrible, raspy breathing noise. And by the time it, it reached the top of the stairs, I was I was you know ready to sp- to spring and scream and uh, whatever needed to take place. And the door began to open, and that's exactly what I did. I just exploded screaming. My father comes running in uh, to, to the room, and he said, yes, I heard it too. 
you know, I'm going to sit with you and, uh, until, until this thing goes away. Because my father was also sensitive and his mother was sensitive and a medium. Mm-hmm. But all of these, all of these um, strange experiences growing up in that house, um, when I talked to a family friend who, who fancied herself as a bit of a, a psychic as well, she would always tell me, you know, Gary, it's you that's doing this to yourself. Hmm. You're projecting. You're projecting the sort of energy, uh, the, the chaotic energy that's inside of you as an adolescent. You're projecting it ex- externally into your reality. And you know the, the problem is, is you tell a you tell us a, a fourteen, fifteen year old who who knows that he put his watch down to to get into the bath, and now the watch is no longer to be found. And then half an hour later, you find it downstairs in the kitchen or, or on the kitchen window ledge. Uh, strange things like that would happen. And to think that you could be causing this yourself or attracting um, attracting the energy uh, into the house because you're out of control uh, in the sense of all those emotions and hormones and everything, you know, running around in the system. Uh, it, it's very difficult to accept because you're, you're scared and frightened. But now I'm in my 50s and I look back and I talk to other people, as you do. I, I mean, one of my first questions always is, do you know any good ghost stories? Because I'm fascinated <laughs> by them. <laughs> um, I, I now think, you know, yeah, I, I think I did that to myself. I think I, in fact, I know from, from studying, you know, doing a five-year course with this, this school uh, of occult science in the UK and, and meditating on a daily basis, I know that inside was turmoil. And that turmoil was reflecting outwards. And if if there are spirits that are independent of our reality, then they probably pick up on that energy, and to them, it's it's a good you know it's a good three course meal that they're having. Now, your books, the the Haunted Life series. Uh, now, how many of there? There there are three. Is that correct? Are there three? There's, of them? there's three. Okay. There's three, and and what I did was I I made them Kindles, Kindle shorts. Um, they're all about you know ninety pages long. And then after after the third one came out, I did a couple of additional stories, and I put out a paperback called My Haunted Life: The Extreme Edition, uh, which is which is a nice book actually. It runs to about a couple of hundred pages of of short stories. The the first book was mainly about my my childhood and growing up and experiences. Uh, the second book was about uh, college and friends and people like that. And then the third book was more um, stories that I'd deliberately uh, gotten out of people. Uh, just just around Christmas time because I wanted to put out a third book and I'd run out of stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's interesting because something I run because you know I do do something similar with my campfire series and uh, and my campfire podcast. And the thing that is interesting is is that over the years, uh, you know, out and about and like you, uh, this is my full time gig now. But for many years, uh, I was you know I had a button down job and wore the suit and the whole thing. And I tell people what I did on the side, and they kind of look at me funny. But then they would say something like this: "Well, I'm not sure I believe in all this stuff, but there was this one time." Yes. <laughs> Do you yes. see that? I, I was I was having a beer last uh, night before last with with a friend of mine, and. Um, you know, he 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 says, I, "I'm sorry, Gary. I I know you find all this stuff fascinating, but I, I don't believe any of it. But I do know this. This did happen to me once, so maybe." <laughs> and I, I said to him, "I said, you know, everybody, everybody has a story, something peculiar, something bizarre, something strange and scary. It's happened to everybody at some point in their life, you know." 
Yeah, and 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 it just it is the universe uh, universality. Now I don't doubt that there are people who make things up, but I think for the most part, the people I've spoken to over the years, they're very sincere about. It. And the thing that surprised me was uh, people. These things are some people are just oh this is kind of funny it's good for a laugh those kind of things are kind of makes it kind of quizzical but some people it strikes at their heart and it's very much like your story actually very emotionally um, taxing and even if they tell it twenty thirty years later uh, it also can be emotionally taxing mm-hmm. yeah yeah because I mean uh, some some of my experiences growing up were just really frightening I mean really really scared me to the point of I didn't think I would be able to to ever sleep or you know uh plainly I was able to to survive and go on but and now now I'm fascinated and interested and uh, some of that mental discipline. You know, if I wake up in the middle of the night and uh, start to feel a little bit sort of scared, I, I just use that mental discipline practice and, and say, no, I don't want that in my reality right now. Thank you. Um, and, and that's it. That's all it takes. But when I was a teenager and growing up, I didn't, I didn't know how to do that. I didn't have that mental discipline. And I, I allowed the fear to overwhelm me and suck me in. And you know, I often say on the other side, I was probably I probably looked like a Christmas tree, all lit up with energy. That was a three course meal for any any entity that was looking for energy. Now, um, now on the other side of it, uh, I mean, again, you have a lot of the scary, frightening stories, but then you have sometimes more poignant stories. Have you ever run into any of those? And, and what are your thoughts on those experiences? Uh, how do you mean? In other words, um, maybe a sign from a past loved one that you interpret as a sign, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. something, yeah. an after-death communication, something that yes. is actually helpful and reassuring to people. Oh yes, yeah. When um, I when I got married, I, I, I'm divorced uh, these days. But uh, when I got married, um, my grandmother, my my mother's mother, and I were quite close, and. We used to have this conversation where I'd say, you know, when if when you die, Nana, will will you come back and prove to me that that there is something? And she'd say, yes, if you really want me to. And I was only a small child, so then I'd think about this and I'd think about some of the frightening things that happened. And I'd say, well, actually, don't bother, don't bother. <laughs> I don't don't really need that. <laughs> but um, she had been she had been dead uh, 10, 12 years by the time uh, I got married, and we went on on a honeymoon holiday to the south of France. And we'd rented one of these large, I don't know if really if you have them in the States, it's like a trailer home, I guess, but it's like a large caravan in our terminology, but like a, a trailer. Right. Uh, and um, bizarre things would happen. I, I would, you know, I would get in the shower and I'd put my towel over the door. And when I turned around, the towel would not be there. Hmm. Um my My ex-wife had a little white prayer book that her grandmother had given to her and she'd brought with her. And the whole time we were there, she could not find it. And we completely unpacked the bags and completely repacked the bags. And when we got home and she opened a luggage, the white prayer book was at the top of the placed at the top of the bag on top of everything. There's no way that um, that she couldn't have seen it. And I just had this strong, really strong feeling. I kept saying to her, I says, it's my grandmother. She's proved, she's she's trying to tell us that she's here. And I just feel so strongly that it's my grandmother doing this. And it happened all through the, the, the two-week holiday. And, you know, my takeaway, I wasn't frightened at all. I felt quite quite good about it because I felt like my grandmother was actually aware of what was going on and that she still existed in some level of existence and was proving it to me. 
Uh, do you have a, a story or two you'd like to share from the books? It can be one of yours. It can be one of somebody else's that really, really stood out in your mind. Yeah, the, the, the one that really stands out is a story that I was told by my girlfriend's sister's boyfriend one night um, at a big house uh, where we were all gathered in Hessel. And Hessel is a little town just outside of the city of Hull. And when he said, I'm a rabid Tigers fan, that means a whole city uh, soccer team fan. That's, what, that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, English Premier League, because I'm from Hull and I've always supported them. And uh, he started to tell us that, that um, the previous weekend, he and some of the lads, um, we were 17, 18, 19 years old, he and some of the lads had, had been in town. And there's a very large cemetery in West Hull. At the time, it was not very well kept. Um, it was overgrown. It was, it was a real mess and an eyesore. And people would avoid it because it was quite frightening. It was a very large cemetery. And they decided, coming home from the pub, that they'd run through the cemetery uh, just for fun, as you do when you're that age. <laughs> You've had a few beers. But they went into the middle of the cemetery, and, and um, he kicked something, and he realized that he'd kicked a skull, a human skull. Oh my. And he stopped, and to his horror, he realized that many of the graves had been vandalized, and bits of bodies were hanging out of coffins. And this really frightened him, particularly when he realized he'd kicked a skull. But for some reason, he picked the skull up, and he thought, hmm, I'll keep it. And he ran. He ran screaming with his buddies, but he had this skull in his hand. And when they got out of the cemetery, they all looked at the skull and he put it in his bag to take home. He got home, he took the skull out, he had another look at it, and he put it on, on his uh, bedside cabinet for some reason. I would, would never, I would have hidden it somewhere, but he put it on his bedside cabinet and he, he passed out and went to sleep. When he woke up in the morning and he turned around, he was surprised to find a carved ivory chess piece where the skull had been. Huh. <laughs> and, you know, he, he and his friends couldn't, couldn't grasp how the skull could change into a carved ivory chess piece, a very large chess piece. And um, he was very frightened by this whole thing. It really shook him up. So about uh, three or four nights later, they took the carved ivory chess piece back to the cemetery and left it there. But that, that, to me, I mean, it's not necessarily a frightening story, but it's a bizarre story. How does a human skull turn into a carved ivory chess piece? And why would it? You know? well, and yeah. I have no reason to disbelieve him. He, he was telling the truth. He was very scared, very shocked. Well, that's the thing is I don't think, uh, I mean, the interesting thing to me is also is over the years I've heard many of these stories. Uh, there's a much greater variety than you would think. You think it's just all full body apparitions, ghosts, but there's a whole range of strange things, doppelgangers, shadow yeah. people, things like yeah. you're talking about, just head scratchers, twilight zone kind of things. Really, the variety is much more than you would think it might necessarily be. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I mean, it would, it would certainly freak me out to, to, to think that, um, you know, what, what's the meaning of this? Am I cursed? <laughs> what am I going to do now? Sort of thing. I should never have taken that skull from the cemetery. Come to think about it, I should have never gone through the cemetery in the first place, you know. <laughs> what, what, what do you think about the activity of ghost hunting? What's your opinion on it? I, I, you know, I when I was uh, living in Houston, I, I really enjoyed. Um, I really enjoyed watching some of the shows. There's there's one actually done by the BBC that I thought was really, or was it ITV that was on US television? I really enjoyed uh, those shows. 
And of course, it spawned a whole industry of ghost hunters and ghost hunting clubs and you know pseudo scientific instruments and that kind of thing. I think whatever whatever people are interested in, I just I just would caution that uh, in my in my experience, you do in fact create your own reality, and uh, wherever you focus your attention, um, you know things will happen. So. Um, I've I've heard other people say, well, I've been a ghost hunter for 15 years, and I've never actually actually seen anything, heard anything, or experienced anything. And I think that the same thing is true. Subconsciously, if you don't believe it's going to happen, you create a reality in which it doesn't. So, you know. But I would warn and caution people that if you if you are uh, tuned mentally the right way and have a very vivid imagination. Uh, you will create manifest. You will manifest activity just by giving attention, and that activity may be unwanted, and it may be difficult to get rid of again. That's the problem with it. I know in one of your books you talk about deja vu. That's one of those things that's always interested me. What in the world's going on? Is it a brain a hiccup in my brain's processing? Is it actually experiencing something again? I even heard somebody speculate, and this is wild speculation, that it's like a, a save point in a video game where you die and you start <laughs> you start over. Uh, I thought that was interesting. I don't know if I put any credence to that, but but it was an interesting theory. What are your thoughts on deja vu? Yeah, it's an experience that we all have, and I've had many times myself, and I, I struggle really to explain it. Um, I don't know that I believe in reincarnation. I do believe in multiple parallel realities. So I guess on balance, I often wonder if it isn't some kind of transfer of information between two different realities in which I, ex I exist, um, some kind of connection uh, along those lines. Um, and I think in the story... The, the deja vu story that's the uh, that's that's the way it, the story is is put together that it's a parallel rea reality uh, that is had um, sight of and uh, that can be quite shocking and and there are a lot of people that have not necessarily deja vu experiences but can see will suddenly feel that a shift in 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 reality and they'll be looking into the into the into a scene of the past or uh, in, you know, in, into some bizarre universe, and I really do think that sometimes what happens is is we we tune into a, a close by parallel universe, and obviously things are quite different and yet the same in those parallel universes. I also sometimes wonder if um, it isn't just a big game that we're all involved in, and um, I'm just here for the day. I I wake up in the morning and I, I think to myself that everything's continuous and I've con continue, you know, continuous memories and there's continuity. But how do I know that wasn't just put there? And I just started today. And when I go to bed tonight, that's the end of my little game. <laughs> yeah, they are. They are mind benders. Now it seems like you, you feel that you have at least part of the answer or some of the answers, or you, at least you, you think that you may, do you think uh, one thing that I'm always interested in when I talk to people in this field, uh, are we, going to get some answers one day uh are we going to get closer to whatever the truth is or are we all just kind of participating in an intellectual uh exercise and debate and discussion where you know we will talk these bounce these points back and forth but really never get anywhere do you think we'll ever get any closer i i i, I suspect that we will get closer and we will we will answer 
um, some of the questions, but not all. But I also think that it is also possible that we all live in our own overlapping realities. And and it is therefore possible for me to find my answer, but it wouldn't be your answer. Um, And it could be real to me, but not real to you. Uh, It's difficult to explain what I'm trying to suggest there, but it could be that while we're living in overlapping realities and you have a, you know, you're a voice in my ear, um, we've never met, uh, and you're just, I'm just experiencing your voice as a phenomena inside my mind. I have no idea that you actually exist as a real person. Um, same for you. You've never met me. You're just listening to a voice. It could be just a voice in your head. So we kind of have our own reality. And each of us overlap into, we spill over into each other's reality, but I can have a completely different worldview than you. We can even use the same terminology to describe different things. I mean, it's it's that silly, when I see purple, do you see purple? Yeah, we both exactly. call it purple, but <laughs> is it really your my purple? Is it your purple? Or am I seeing yellow and calling it purple? So I, I you know, I think we will get answers, but some people will that will be an answer, and to other people it won't. Um, and I think we're already in that scenario. Um, actually, I, I um, got a new book coming out on May the fourteenth um, called "How to Create Your Own Reality," and I get into a lot of this uh, in that uh, in that book. Um, and after this one, I'm going back to ghost stories. I'm I'm in the process of writing another another ghost story book because um, I really I really like the ghost stuff. And I, I I don't know about you. It sounds like um it sounds like you caught the bug as well. But it's kind of um once you get going with this stuff, it, it it's you know it's it's forever interesting, isn't it? It absolutely is. And on that uh, on that vein, uh, certainly you're a very interesting guy with uh, some interesting books. Where can people pick up the current books and also the the, the book that will be coming out on the 14th? I suspect I suspect this will be released after the 14th, so I'm sure that's available now. Uh, where can people find everything that you do in, in the books and so forth? Well, the best the best place to sort of stay in touch with me is on my on my blog, which is garymvz.com. That's garymvz.com. M is Gary is my name. Michael is my you know right um, writing name. So garymvz.com. And of course, all the books are available on all the Amazon sites. Um, some of them are Kindle only, and but most of them are also um, available as paperbacks. G. Michael Vasey, we thank you for joining us today on Ghost Insight and continued success. Thank you very much. It's been great fun, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. Will do. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We certainly appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next time. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.